Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Hey there, CFDsters. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Talking CFD, the podcast that's more about growing a business than growing a boundary layer. So I was in a reflective mood recently, thinking about some of the developments in codes and workflows and productivity and all that jazz that's come along during my CFD career. And on the whole, I think that most of them have been kind of evolutionary, the ones that have impacted me at least. I'm thinking faster clock speeds, cheaper RAM, bringing on bigger models or faster turnaround times or or more physics. I couldn't think of too many revolutionary changes in the last decade or so. I'm always on the lookout for the next shiny CFD object to investigate, and it sounds like GPUs might just be it. So when I get the chance to speak to a company that are pushing forward in that direction, I jump at it, and today is one of those days. The company at hand is Envenio, and I spoke with their CEO, Ian McLeod, and with Scott Walton, their VP of Business Development, to find out what makes them different, why GPUs might be coming into their own right now, and tapped them up for some lessons learned marketing a new CFD code. If you're not familiar with Invenio and you've not seen their very Canadian red and white branding somewhere around the interwebs, I'll let Scott fill you in. We're a Canadian-based software company. Uh, We have uh, an office in Eastern Canada and Central Canada, and then we have a few people working abroad as well. And um, we formed in in 2010, and I'll let Ian elaborate on on the sort of start of, of the whole thing, but... Essentially, our, our, our focus and purpose was really to, to bring more CFD to the masses and, and enable um, engineers to use CFD more often in their workplace and, and enable um, engineers who have never done CFD to be able to, to use CFD as a tool set in their product design or product optimization process. And um, what we did was we developed a general purpose CFD solver. Um, and paired that with a post-processing and, and pre-processing meshing tool. And the uh, solver itself is a GPU-optimized solver that works with both GPUs and CPUs together uh, to provide a, uh, a very strong speed-up and reduction in, in um, your simulation time. And um, really, uh, our, our focus wasn't to, to get into innovating on the physics or the engineering model side, um, but more so in the way that our software uses the available uh, compute hardware and the um, the underlying algorithm that uh, that that auto balances and and auto loads that data onto the compute hardware is is really where um, our intellectual property is, and we have a patent around that core solver technology. And then um, on top of that, we were building in. Um, different physics models and capabilities that are in other available codes. But ultimately, our, our goal was to improve the productivity of, of CFD engineers and, and work with the, the latest supercomputing technology. A lot of this, uh, a lot of this came from the world of, of, uh, of high-end supercomputing, and there was a pretty big shift um, in the way that in the way that uh, supercomputing technology was being being laid out, uh, or I guess the biggest computers were being laid out, um, they're sh- shifting at least part of the uh, part of the capability in them away from a pure kind of parallel CPU 
computation to uh, to one that uses uh, GPUs and other coprocessors to complement that uh, to, to complement that process and give a bit of uh, bit of speed up for certain types of applications. And as it turns out, GPUs are, are really well suited uh, the way that they handle data. It's really well suited to a CFD uh, type of computation. Um, so, so one of our founders, Andrew Gerber, kind of realized that that there was this change happening uh, in the in the way that the biggest supercomputers were being laid out. Um, that type of technology eventually always trickles down to uh, to the to the everyday engineer and to the to the people doing practical applications. Um, and so, and so, recognizing that that was coming and that there's really great economies uh, available uh, from using GPU GPU type resources. Um, he started building a building this new solver and 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 quickly realized that, you know it's not the type of thing where you can just take an existing solver that's made for parallel CPU computation and and um, and just kind of port it over to GPUs. You actually have to rewrite the solver from the ground up, uh, and that's what we did. So starting in 2010, we you know we we it was in graduate research uh, laboratories. We started building this, and then eventually, uh, um, I guess prior to 2010, that was, and then we started um, started the company around the technology when the patent was uh, was issued. Um, and then, uh, and since then, it's really been perfecting that uh, that optimization for for GPU type technology and uh, G- GPU type of uh, hardware. Sorry, and uh, and then building on top of it all the all the physics models that that enable us to do these these practical problems. Um, so that's that's been a, a, a journey since about June of of 2010, um, and it's taken us lots of places we didn't expect, and uh, and now. Um, now we've realized that there's a you know there's a lot of value uh, in offering this type of top type of um, solver on the cloud. Um, GPUs have finally become available in, in you know hourly pricing models, uh, so you can build uh, build a CFD problem or CFD uh, solver like we have, and you can actually offer it as an on-demand service or as a you know as a software as a service type of business model instead of the you know traditional um, annual annual license with on-site hardware and all that kind of stuff. So part of me when I hear 2010 i feel like that's quite recent but then i think about it and it's that's that's a decent amount of time for for things to change and evolve and it sounded like you this kind of started in a in a sort of university setting or a kind of a research setting how how's the company evolved over that that time uh well i guess the 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 initial uh, prior to 2010 it was really just a couple of graduate students uh, not not including me actually the guy who came up with the idea originally uh, andrew gerber he was one of my master's thesis uh, advisors, and uh, so he, uh, Gord Holloway, at the University of New Brunswick, and and me formed the company around it. Um, with my primary role being uh, just you know kind of running the running the uh, running the business part of it, uh, where they provided the the technical input and, and know how. And so you got the easy bit then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we survived on you know survived on consulting uh, revenue for the first couple of years and, and built the technology very much bootstrapped. Um, and and as that part of the business grew, we were able to bring on uh, former graduate students of, of Andrew and Gord's um, to in kind of part time positions where they're working part at university, part for the company. Um, you know that that kind of carried on for for three or four years, and then um, you know in 2016 we brought on our first uh, our first investor, uh, you know first outside money, and then we hired you know the full team that's going to build the uh, you know build a lot of the uh, back end stuff, um, the uh, the user interface, um, build the uh, the platform that enables us to offer it on on the cloud and and that kind of thing. And is that a kind of distributed development team? Are you spread around the globe or are you? is there a kind of a kernel of... Yeah, we're mostly concentrated in New Brunswick, but um, we do have a, a few people in Montreal, in Canada, and then also uh, three people in Europe, and then uh, one sales engineer in the US. So 
we we tend to take the approach of of going with you know highly competent, highly talented individuals, um, and then you know if, if if we need to accommodate them working remotely, then we do so. But we we start with sort of the, looking for the best person for the best role or for the role. And what's the sort of the the size of the team now? What, how how big have you grown? The the team right now is about eleven and a half full time uh, equivalents, and it's and it's fourteen brains uh, involved. So. Um, it's, it's, uh, grown a lot from just, uh, from just a couple of people part-time, uh, to, to where it is now. And, uh, and to answer your question, uh, I guess our, our development, uh, development staff is in Fredericton, New Brunswick on, on the East coast of Canada, uh, with, and one guy over in Germany who used to be here, uh, and, and wanted to move home. So we kept him on, uh, kept him on working remote, uh, remote from there. And the sales team is more distributed. And we're, um, we're hiring two more salespeople now as well. So uh, growing, growing, growing. Yeah, I mean, and um, like just from a year ago, we would have, I guess, doubled in staff size. So. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that it, you started out kind of not really innovating on the on the physics aspect of, of CFD, and more in, innovating around the um, the use of of upcoming architectural changes to to supercomputers and things like that. Has has that changed i mean you mentioned it trickled down to desktop computers and things like that what's the the sort of split between your use on kind of what you might term high-end machines sort of hpc and being able to use it on a on a laptop say or a desktop um well a laptop unless it had a unless it had a lot of space in it i don't think would fit one of the gpus uh these these are the primary um primary cards that we use for kind of our everyday heavy lifting is uh is the uh, Nvidia Tesla series cards, so they're they're uh, the K40 and the K80. Although we've done some testing on um, on the newer P100s uh, and the uh, they're called V100s. The hardware technology as it's been updating. We've been you know we've been able to to continue updating along with that. And and uh, really these things are you know they are, they are graphics cards, so they just plug into a motherboard. Um, and so we have here at our office we have a few desktop machines uh, or what you classify as a high end desktop. So they're um, you know, they're kind of a normal size computer format. They have a couple of uh, K40s or a couple of K80s in them. Um, and so that's a pretty capable machine, like a, a dual K40 machine can run, um, you know, 25 million elements uh, fairly easily or 25 million control volumes. Um, a dual K80 machine can run 50 million to 60 million uh, control volumes. You know, this is just on a desktop again. Uh, and then, you know, at the university for some of the R&D machines, uh, you know, we still do collaborative uh, R&D with the university. And they have a large cluster there where they have uh, they have a, uh, a mainframe with, uh, um, you know, one head node and then five compute nodes, each of which has uh, 4K80 cards in it. Um, so we kind of work well on a, uh, you know, on a, on a larger um uh, shared memory system, and but then also on the desktop machines. And now, uh, you know, our 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 core product offering is a cloud, um, is a cloud service. So that's where you can, uh, you know, you can log in online, provision yourself some resources, and and work directly from there. And that's a, uh, you know, those are uh, single and and dual K40 and K80 resources. See, I want to come back. I'm going to circle back around to the cloud, but I'm going to play dumb for a moment. It's really easy for me to do that. Um, I see all these sort of headline numbers coming out from the, the GPU manufacturers of, you know, so many teraflops in, in such a tiny package and they've got this many cores and this much compute power and things like that. And, and the, the novice in me thinks, why isn't everybody doing CFD on those? Am I right in thinking that it's not straightforward to sort of really take advantage of that power with kind of a legacy code 
Um, you can absolutely take advantage of it with a legacy code. Um, and, and I think there is a GPU module, uh, for instance, in OpenFoam. And I know Ansys has, uh, has an offering, um, that, that leverages GPUs. Um, what they tend to be is, is kind of porting a, a, a really expensive, uh, part of the computation over to, over to GPUs. And you do get speed up from it. Um, but you don't get, uh, you don't get, as much as we can get because we've, you know, we've completely rewritten and optimized for it. So, um, the, the way, um, or the, the amount of speed up you can get depends very much on, on how your code is, is designed and, and using those resources. You know, when it comes down to things like, uh, memory management, um, you know, efficient use of cache on the, on the chips, uh, you know, paying attention to, um, to your usage of memory bandwidth, um, the, the chips are capable of doing memory copy and memory, uh, or sorry, memory copy and, and processing simultaneously. So, you know, interleaving those processes and, and making sure that, um, you know, that everything's as efficient as possible. There's a lot of optimization uh, really that goes into it. Um, and then there's, in addition to that, there's this idea of, of structured versus unstructured data. Um, so if you have nicely structured data, you know, a, an orthogonal grid um, with, with, um, with the data all output as three-dimensional arrays, uh, where, where things that are physically close together um, and computed in sequence are, are close together in memory too. Um, you can get a lot more advantage by organizing your data uh, in a structured way uh, versus doing unstructured, you know, the kind of the traditional unstructured grid. Is that because a sort of structured data arrangement more closely mirrors something like a, a texture or an image in uh, sort of graphics? I can't comment directly on the on the image analogy, um, but um, but really what it comes down to is that with structured data, um, the way the way the processor goes and fetches stuff from memory, um, it's fetching stuff in 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 chunks and it's carrying that through the cache. So when you do when you perform a, an operation on you know on one control volume, then you want to go work on the next one in sequence. Uh, the processor doesn't have to go all the way back to memory to find that data. It can just go as far as the cache, and it's much quicker. Um, so in that way, structured data is, is a lot is a lot faster. And I guess that that would be similar to images in a, in, a, in its own way. It's finding these ways to to cheat the memory bandwidth, or or to uh, you know to to get around it, or to or to interleave operations that you know that aren't aren't competing for the same resources. Uh, that that's kind of the secret to to working with GPUs and, and what we spent seven years developing, really. Yeah, and just to give an example of the impact difference, um, you know, if you you look at the numbers from like ANSYS or OpenFoam GPU optimized versions, uh, they get like a two to three times speed up where we're upwards of, of 20 times. And, and that's not even including the, um, the additional speed up from our parareal uh, model that's in development. So um, we're able to fully capitalize on, on that available compute hardware. It sounds like a lot of that is kind of under the hood, if you like. D from a, a user's point of view, would, would we notice any difference in terms of how we build models and, and the sort of the workflow that's involved? Or is all that complexity hidden away from us? Uh, that, that complexity is largely hidden away. So the, so the way a GPU is set up, um, it's, it's really a miniature uh, parallel supercomputer. So the, so the chip itself has has thousands of independent processing units on it. So it does a lot of the parallelization on, on its own. We don't even code for that kind of uh, parallel. We, we code in the in the CUDA languages and the chip takes care of most of the parallel operations for us. I guess the, the main thing the user would see uh, in terms of in terms of setup, um, if you were doing a parallel, Operation in in OpenFoam, for instance, you would um, you'd specify a number of processors that you're going to use, and and you'd assign different parts of the mesh. You know, you'd spatially decompose it, and you'd assign different parts of the mesh to different processors. Uh, so it's very straightforward. You know, if you want to double the speed, you double the resources approximately, and you and and uh, and and you carry on from there up to a limit where network communication becomes a barrier. 
um, with the GPUs, the GPUs end up doing most of the heavy lifting. Um, and so when someone's specifying uh, or setting up a problem in our code, they say, I want two GPUs and four CPUs. And so the CPUs handle all the boundary conditions, all the 2D interfaces between blocks, and the GPUs handle all the blocks uh, most of the time. Um, so that's that's the main difference, you know, that, that we see when, I, when, you know, when I'm doing demos with people, they're like, you know, does it matter if I give it more more CPUs or not? And in a lot of cases, you can get away with very few CPUs as long as you have those GPUs there doing the doing the heavy lift. So yeah, quite a difference from what people might be might be used to. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier about the cloud. Now, I mean, I'm a huge proponent of cloud crunch power. Mm-hmm. Do you? See, I mean, I think everybody kind of intellectually understands the good points around it. Do you see people kind of embracing it into their workflow and 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 beginning to do more? compute in the cloud yeah the um like if you look at the the cloud cfd reports that are out there there's not many of them um and in fact we um we conducted our own survey which we can chat about later um but there's there's certainly more people moving towards it um the uh the major issues that people have with the cloud uh you know the stability getting queued uh security like all those things are being directly addressed by a lot of the the supercomputing cloud hosts and so um uh, what we're also seeing is is large organizations change their philosophy and and approach to using cloud and and actually embracing it and we've seen some pretty conservative organizations um, that you know had strict policies around using any cloud applications start to open up and and to offset you know their um, their their local resource usage with with cloud usage and and i think everyone's just you know coming to the realization that you can't evolve fast enough um, with uh, uh, with a local installation and running absolutely everything on local resources and the technology is just it's changing so fast. I mean, every every couple of weeks, Nvidia is coming out with a a different uh, type of GPU and and then Intel with with their coprocessor line uh, continues to evolve quickly as well. So. I think people just realize that that is is fast becoming the the reality, and they they've got to embrace it as opposed to trying to to fight it. And and some of them like they go to quite quite lengths to to really ensure uh, things are are safe and secure, and 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 getting the the highest level of accreditation on on security that they can to make sure that that people understand it is is it is a secure environment. Does that seem to be kind of the number one objection then the the security aspect? Um, we don't like, we actually, we, we faced that a lot in our early days cause we were, we were still trying to figure out our, our product market fit and, and where we should focus our efforts. So when we were talking to a lot of the, the larger sized organizations, that was that like was, big aerospace. Yeah. Big aerospace government defense organizations. Um, that was certainly, you know, one of the more common issues, but as we shifted our focus to, to smaller, uh, small and medium sized businesses, um, that is rarely an issue. Like I, I might hear it on one of out of a hundred sales calls, and then we just point them in the direction of the security page that our cloud host has on their website. And that usually uh, comforts them. People kind of realize that they're probably doing a better job of it than than the customers are, if you like. Oh, exactly. I mean, that's their whole world, right? So, so it seems to be this divide in terms of, of company size. So you get into the, the big aerospace guys, and, and they don't they don't want to talk about anything other than on premise stuff. Um, but but even like like Scott said, some of these uh, consulting companies that we've we've chatted with, um, you know, they're in a situation where uh, you know it's a big. Uh, 
Canadian company. Uh, they have offices all over the country. Um, and the entire company uh, and all their branches are all relying on a single compute resource sitting in Calgary. You know, and, and they they struggle with that, and it, it's a it's a shared system, so they all have to compete for time on it. Um, and it's expensive to maintain, and expensive to upgrade, and, and justify in the annual budget, and all this kind of thing. And you know, they're they're kind of realizing now that they can get all of that um, out of the cloud. Uh, have that nice intermittent usage model that the cloud offers, and you know it's not just um, it's not just a security question anymore. It's a it's a it's a cost of operating question that, that they're that they're trying to answer and trying to find a better solution for. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that kind of intermittent usage aspect of it. Sort of traditionally, the kind of licensing arrangements for some of the more legacy, well, I say legacy, some of the the more traditional codes, they they don't really fit right. that well with with a cloud, a sort of bursty cloud environment where today I could be running a thousand jobs and tomorrow I've got two. Um, the, the licenses aren't really elastic. They don't really cope with that. How do you guys address that? Yeah, and that's that's the, the third kind of value point to, to where we're looking to shake things up. Like the first is the performance of the solver. The second is um, like cloud-based on-demand supercomputing resources. And then third piece is, is the business model or pricing model with our, our pay-as-you-go option. And this one, you know, is is certainly, um, uh, I would say, the the most important um, shift that we've made in, in positioning our product. And, and you just look at the landscape of, of CFD users that are out there, um, a lot of them are, are looking for more um, processing power, more capabilities, but for them to justify an increase in their license plan with um, some of the incumbents, it's it's a pretty big ask from management if, if say, they they want to double their capacity, but only for a quarter or, or you know, six months. Um, that's a pretty... Uh, incre- a pretty large incremental investment. So... Um, what we wanted to do was was give people an ability to have like a true pay as you go option where they're only paying for what they're actually using and simulating. And the reality is like, especially in the engineering consulting world, um, people will make these investments, say 30 to $50,000 for, for a base license with, with one of these CFD packages. And then they purchase a computer for 10 or 15 K and then, you know, they have one consulting project or two, and then it kind of slumps off. And then you've got this sunk cost that you're not, you know, capitalizing on and, and not able to, to actually recover your costs on. Whereas, you know, with the model that we have or, or that others have with, with a pay-as-you-go setup, um, you know, you click activate, you've got no cash out. Um, you start simulating for that project and then you're billing by the you're billing even before, you know, a traditional CFD user would even have their actual setup in place. So it just it changes. It completely changes the the sort of cash flow statement that, that an engineer engineering manager would have to have to sort of um, cover. And then also what it does is is um, for people that are existing CFD users, it helps them kind of expand their their capability on the fly. So, you know, you get um, in some industries, you get people that are, are constrained to running only steady state simulations all the time. Like that's all they have capacity for. But this would be like your typical small uh, HVAC consulting office kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and they, 
you know, there's all these other great things that they can simulate, um, you know, instead of just the, the thermal comfort and, and the mezzanine, uh, they could be doing wind loading and, and buffeting of the building and, you know, pressure and conjugate heat transfer through windows and, and acoustics and all these other great things. But they can only afford in their budget to do a minimal set of, of simulations or they could be running a lot more in parallel. And this, you know, this kind of enables them to supplement what they're already doing um, in a very cash conscious way. And then the third group is is people that just cannot afford to do CFD, period. And, and there's a lot of engineers out there that could use CFD um, because it's a valuable asset that gives them critical engineering data, but they just, they can't justify it because of either cash flow constraints or time constraints or whatever. So that, that really unlocks that group um, as well. So there's really strong benefits there to, to that model. And, and it's been really w- well received in, in the market. What do you think it does to the sort of the sales cycle? Because I mean, I can't see a, an easy way in the old model, if we want to phrase it that way, where somebody could kind of get their feet wet, you know, try it out. Um, like you say, you've got the you've got the upfront cost of the solver and then you've got the machines and things like that. It's not easy to sort of dip your toe. I guess this might shorten that sales cycle. Somewhat. Yeah, and that's like, like that's um, it's a good point. It it really helps us a lot. I mean, if you uh, we and we we've talked to executives from from some of the the incumbents, and, and we understand their sales processes, and, and they're quite quite long. Um, you know, they're they're going for at least annual uh, license contracts with with um, uh, MS uh, tied to it, and and so you know that like you said, it's a it's a big financial commitment um, plus a people commitment. And, um, that's one of the things we, we say during a sales conversation is like, look, like you don't have to be, you know, a thousand percent bought in that this is going to be the, the solver platform that you're going to use for the rest of your life. Cause the reality is we're not locking you into anything. It's, it's, um, you know, we, we face a lot of situations where you can tell someone's nervous about, you know, switching over and and completely ditching their existing product. And we just tell them like, look, like, you know, keep that as your workhorse. Um, But, you know, consider using us for the things that you can't do and can't fit within your regular simulation work stream. And, and, you know, we have a lot of situations where customers will be using uh, us, but also their, their existing kind of workhorse. Oh, that's a really interesting point. I hadn't twigged that at all. If you've got a star or a fluent, you're not going to have both more than likely, unless you're probably a giant company. Um, I'm I'm certainly not going to have both of them, but I see what you're saying that you could almost with no expenditure or minimal expenditure, have one of those codes and your code and get the best out of both tools. Yeah, exactly. Cause it's um, for some of these simulations, they, they might be ones that they run infrequently. They might not be the, you know, I want to, I want to run this every day. Um, Another example of capability on our platform is you can you can run multiple simulations up to seven of them currently right now um, on one compute node for the same hourly price. So um, we we talk to people like where they've got a tight deadline, um, they can't complete that deadline with with their open phone package or fluent package or whatever on their cluster, and it's sort of a, a one off project. And then that's uh, that's a great fit. 
So would you say that that is probably the, the biggest sell for the code? I see codes kind of competing on physics and, and models and things like that. I feel like the sort of productivity aspect might be more valuable, say, than a bump in a turbulence model or something like that. Absolutely. Like we're, we're never going to, well, I shouldn't say we'll never, but it'll be a long time before, you know, we have... Uh, a feature set yeah. like what Star CCM yeah. has, for example. Yeah, like or or twenty turbulence models or <laughs> or whatever, right? Like that's not that's not our game plan. It's it's more so on on the productivity and and the cash flow side for for these engineers and and to enable a whole new span of of people to be able to do simulations. Like we have, um, you know, we we're working on some some pretty funny like well funny just as in different uh simulations now because all of a sudden it's like you know we we talk to people and they're like well we we've always wanted to use cfd but you know every quote we've gotten is like you know seventy five thousand bucks or hundreds of thousands of dollars to to engage uh, an engineering consulting firm to, to help us out with this and and we're saying like we're running the numbers on on the simulation costs and we're like we can run that for a fraction of of what these other people quoted you and our like engineering consulting is not our, our main game. Like we, we do it because people ask us to do it to, to sort of get a relationship going and, and us to help them out when they don't have someone trained on staff to do CFD. Um, but it also helps us kind of, you know, test our solver on, on new applications and that's where it gets really exciting. And, and, you know, what I, what I kind of relate it to is, you know, there's a there's a Gantt chart of of the CFD industry um, back to the, the the 80s, and you know it all started off in a couple sectors, like say aerospace and automotive. So if you take automotive for example, started off with you know uh, basic stuff like external flows, then they got into internal flows and combustion, then interior climate, and then exhaust emissions and brake cooling, and window defrosting and filters with porous media. So it just kept evolving, evolving, evolving. And then you, you keep extending it into new applications. And that's what we're kind of finding now. Like, for example, um, the HVAC industry, um, you know, all the incumbents have gone after um, the architecture firms and the uh, the engineering consulting firms that are doing like building construction and things like that. But then you get into like the more uh, precision HVAC um, applications, like within the cannabis space and within vertical farming and and um, some of these other like uh, very sensitive HVAC environments where additional CFD analysis can be really, really valuable and not just like a basic kind of temperature distribution in a room, but looking at like cross-contamination with particle transport and de- deposition models between different uh, zones, like say in an OR. So, um, you know, we're, we're trying to look for, like our focus right now is we're trying to look for niche applications where um, people understand the value of, of CFD and, and how it can relate to improving the, uh, the efficiency of their operations or imp- improving their yields. Um, but they, they couldn't have afforded it before or they couldn't do it because of those barriers. I'd relate it back to, uh, to points earlier about the technology and the, the, um, the GPU and efficient use of the GPU is really what enables all this because, you know, the GPU in terms of performance per dollar or, or gigaflops per, per dollar spent on the on the resource, if you want to put it that way, you know, they outperform a CPU only resource, you know, by a pretty wide margin, uh, just just straight up. So 
um, you know, it's that type of thing that makes that makes this possible. And in addition to the other advantages, like, you know, a GPU doesn't mind sharing. Um, so you can you you can if you had uh, capacity on one to do a 50 million node problem, um, that could be five, 10 million node problems or, or you know, potentially 10, 5 million node problems. Uh, so, so you have this ability to run run a lot in parallel uh, and run them very quickly. Um, you know, at the core of it, it's the hardware architecture side, but also the efficient use of it that makes that makes all that stuff possible. And that's why, you know, why we're able to offer this kind of um, inexpensive on-demand option uh, and and other, you know, other companies aren't able to do that is because they're not capitalizing on this hardware trend uh, in the same way we are. Really, really interesting stuff. I, w- I mean, we're getting quite close to time, but sort of selfishly, I really want to um, just dig in quickly into kind of um, particularly while I've got you on the call, Scott, um, want to dig into sort of the, the marketing and, and sort of business dev side of this. You guys have got a sort of unique value prop that we've kind of discussed already. Um, but I wonder how that plays into the, the, the marketing. What, what's a what's a good marketing channel in our space? Yeah, we, we've tested a lot of them out, like um, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Google+. Is that still going? I guess so. <laughs> Barely. Um, we we found that uh, LinkedIn was was certainly the best performer. Um, we directly share content on each of those platforms, but we also do like some sponsored ad campaigns and and you know each of them has a different style of of ad campaign uh, within each of the their platforms. And um, LinkedIn has a few great ones that that we've seen some really good successes from and, and driving people to our, our demo signup pages. Um, you know, when we started off, um, I, I joined the company a couple of years ago and uh, didn't come from, well, kind of came from the an engineering uh, world, uh, more so in the material science and chemistry space. But um, I, I started pumping out content on on the ROI and no one was touching it like it was it was very um, poorly received and I didn't know what was going on so we started putting out more like technical content like uh, validation validation and demonstration cases and people just loved it and uh, and so we've we've kind of found a a nice balance now where we will put out uh, you know some technical content um, let's say uh, about mixed precision or mixed mesh topologies like structured, unstructured, but we tie it back to um, what it means for them and, and, you know, saving that time on the simulation and what it does for their bottom line. So it's a little bit of, of both, but I found the, the CFD community definitely um, really enjoys reading like white papers and, and technical content. We started off with with really um, targeting the the CFD engineer themselves, and and I think that that still happens quite a bit today. But um, we've shifted our focus, focusing on you know one level up, like the 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 executive engineers of the VP of engineering uh, group, because they they understand um, the ROI a little bit more. Um, it's still just as critical as uh, for the CFD engineer um, to be bought in. Like without that, you're you're not going to go anywhere with with that company. Um, but the the engineering manager, the VP of engineering, really gets excited when you can tell them, you know, we can help you iterate quicker on product designs, or we can shorten your time to market by this, or we can help you address that problem because now we can help your 
your engineer run parameter sets of 15 simulations instead of two or three. So that, that gets them really excited. And then for the engineer, it's really exciting um, to be able to run, you know, a DES or URANs or LES instead of a, a steady state problem like that, that really gets them excited because, uh, you know, when we when we did our, our CFD survey, only 14% of CFD engineers worldwide said that they were happy with their, their current setup, like in terms of access to, to compute resources and, and whatnot. And 52% of them wish that they had more processing power. And, and over half of them are only using a, a single desktop workstation. So there's a huge room for improvement there. And, and I think like, um, even though a lot of the things we talk about with our solver are the impact on, on the, on the business side of things, um, you know, when we, when you start talking about the productivity gains that we can enable for the engineer, that, that does get them pretty excited. Yeah. We're a greedy bunch. We always want more. <laughs> Oh, thank you guys for coming on because I um, really like hearing about stuff like this that's kind of revolutionary. You hear about new developments that tend to be kind of evolutionary, but the sort of numbers of multiple time speed ups that we're talking about, you know, that that's not an evolutionary, that's a big step and a, make a big difference to a lot of people's workflows. If people listening to this do want to find out more, where should they go? Uh, I mean, I'm sure they've stumbled across your content on LinkedIn and things like that, like we've discussed. But if they if they want to get in touch with you, what what should they do? Yeah, they can um, they can go to our website in vineo.com and um, there's there's lots of information on there about um, the benchmark of the technology, the validation cases we've run. Um, there's a button on every page, I believe, to, to sign up for a free demo where we'll sit down with them for a half hour, hour, or however long they need to, to get a, a walk through the platform. Or they can email me at scott at invineo.ca and we can certainly uh, answer any questions that they have. Cool. Sounds good. I'll link all that up in the show notes. And uh, if you are interested in any of that, I suggest you hit these guys up there. Uh, as you can hear, they're very friendly guys. And I'm sure they'll be able to help you out. Thanks again, guys, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Robin. And um, the webinar is too last minute because it's tomorrow. So there's probably no <laughs> to mention it. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs>